0: Welcome to the Fishnets and Phantoms podcast, a podcast of news and reviews from a post-punk perspective. Happy Walpurgisnacht and the morning of Beltane. I hope you all have a good one. Tonight we'll have some musings on the news, the news of the miscellany, and we are going to have a little bit of an explanation on Walpurgisnacht and Beltane, and a short review slash musing on... Both of them and 30 coins. So the biggest news this spring has got to be the emergence of vaccines and vaccinated people. In the U.S. right now, where this podcast is based, apparently we are at about 39% of the U.S. population having at least one dose of the covid vaccine and unfortunately uh um, they quite a bit less have had their second dose now go go out there and get your second vaccine if you're the first one is not good enough man you're not going to have to go through all the going getting up and actually going someplace and getting your vaccine to not get your second vaccine and actually be protected so Go out, get your second vaccine, wait two weeks, and then you can do stuff. You can do stuff. You can see people. You can go to bands. You can spend your money on art shows. You can listen to your favorite musicians. You can go to the movies. The movies. That is what we all want. We want to see the movies. I, for one, was lucky enough to catch... Godzilla versus King Kong in the big theater. I got to see those guys go at it. Yeah, but I got to see them. And it was great. It was a lot of fun. I was so happy. I was just so happy to see something on the big screen again. I am a... I don't know exactly what you call it. A Cinephile, a cinema lover. I love to be in theaters. I've worked in several theaters. I've and I just I adore it. I love the cavernous nature of theaters. I especially love the old movie palaces. I got my start at the Avalon Theater. Shout out to Eric Levin and Larry Levin and the dear departed Sue Levin who started me off on my love of working at cinemas. I went from there to the Oriental Theater, which was part of the Landmark Theater group, and learned projection, and breaking down films, putting them together. Lost art that actually probably few people know now, because everything's just streamed from video. But I'm glad that I did it, and I'm glad that I had that experience. There's um, something about it, something kind of magical, and, uh, I don't know, it's like you're making this mystical thing with um, very mundane tools. <laughs> you're, you're working with uh, slicers and tape and uh, grease and uh, giant wheels and, I don't know, just all sorts of very mundane things, and uh, the result is this beautiful spectacle of story and light. So, yeah, that was, um, that was a good part of my life. So essentially the reason that I'm encouraging people to get vaccinated is a selfish one. I want to be able to go out and see movies. I want to be able to go out and see concerts. I want to be able to go to my art museum. I want to go to see plays. So if you guys get vaccinated and you tell friends to get vaccinated and you actually do it, get both shots and everything, uh, won't the <laughs> epidemic won't relapse and turn rac- back around on us as it did i believe it was in 1918 and make everything horrible and worse again i don't want that to happen i don't want that loss of life cuz this is serious this is this is people dying i know several people well not as many as some people but i know some people who have died and have lost loved ones and it's not jo- not any joke so i got to go out and get your vaccine you know like Put on your big girl panties or your big boy shorts or whatever it is and get that vaccine inside you because I want to see the arts. Everybody wants to see the arts. So I guess that's my musings on the news part of the program. I'm going to go on from there to news of the miscellany. The first article that I'm going to cover is reported on in Live Science, and it's an article by Adam Mann and it came out about two days ago. Apparently, stars made of antimatter could exist in the Milky Way. Astronomers are trying to solve the mystery of anti-helium by searching for anti-stars, which all kind of sounds like some sort of mighty boosh bu- plot, but <laughs> I guess it's true. Of an estimated 100 billion stars in our galaxy, no more than 14 may be made from antimatter. That the result from a new study that scoured the Milky Way for signs of anti-stars, which are identical to regular stars, save for the fact that they would burn antimatter at their cores. The recent search for anti-stars can be traced back to 2018, when an experiment called the Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer that's attached to the International Space Station captured a few examples of what might be antimatter. Antimatter is exactly like regular matter, but its charge is reversed. So the antimatter equivalent is positively charged protons, are negatively charged antiprotons. In this case, AM, the AMS, the antimatter spectrometer, antimagnetic spectrometer. Wait, no. We're going to try again. Alpha magnetic spectrometer. Okay. So the AMS. So the AMS detected what looks like antihelium, which has a nucleus composed of two antiprotons and two antineutrons. Cosmic rays can sometimes hit ordinary matter and produce simple antimatter. Particles like antiprotons and positrons, and those are the charge reversed version of an electron. But no known process can create something complex like antihelium. A doctoral candidate in astrophysics at the University of Toulouse in France told Live Science they got him and his colleagues wondering where exactly could this anti-helium have come from? Well, physicists are reasonably certain that that there's no large pod, No large pod." Of antimatter existing in the universe, some theorists have suggested that bits of the charge reversed material could have collected into star like objects, essentially forming anti stars. Anti stars would fuse anti hydrogen into anti helium to produce light, but they would otherwise look fairly ordinary. Quote, is if these objects existed, these objects existed, we could not distinguish them from a regular star. But when antimatter and regular matter meet, they violently annihilate each other, leaving behind nothing but gamma rays. So, ordinary matter floating through the cosmos in the form of gas and dust would hit these anti-stars, generating excess gamma radiation. By coming through the data from NASA's Fermi gamma ray telescope, they uncovered 14 examples of small compact objects shining brightly in gamma rays that didn't show up in other star catalogs, meaning scientists don't know what they are, that could make them potential anti-star candidates. Their findings appeared April 20th in the journal Physical Review, D. Our next story concerns the Hubble telescope. The Hubble offers a glimpse of a Jupiter-sized still-forming planet. This is in Tech Explorist, and it's an article by Amit Malawar from April 30, 2021. A rare look at a Jupiter-sized still-forming planet captured by NASA's Hubble Space Telegraph offers astronomer an opportunity to see material falling onto the planet. This planetary system seems to feed off material surrounding a young star. The exoplanet called PDS-70 b is located 370 light years from Earth in the constellation Centaurus. It orbits the orange dwarf star PDS-70 which is known to have two actively forming planets inside a huge disk of dust, dust and gas encircling the star. Wow, so that is a pretty active star system coming to life. So, um, happy birthday. Happy birthday, star system. Finally, in our news of the miscellany, Smithsonian Magazine is asking if Vikings hosted rituals designed to stop Ragnarok in a volcanic cave this article from april twenty nineteen i'm sorry twenty twenty one by livia gershon the article goes on to quote a jerusalem post report that archaeologists are investigating a site in iceland located about nine hundred and eighty feet beyond the cave's entrance where they discovered a boat-shaped rock structure as well as beads and decorative materials from distant lands. The team's, finding, the team's findings, published in the Journal of Archaeological Science, show that on an eruption that formed the cave, known as Schutsteller, occurred in the late 9th century AD, soon after the first Viking sello- settlement of Iceland. For the paper, the incident was probably the first major volcanic eruption witnessed by the people in northern Europe since the end of the last ice age, more than 10,000 years prior. The explosion covered about 90 square miles of fertile land in volcanic rock. The impacts of this in- eruption must have been unsettling, posing existential challenges for Iceland's newly arrived settlers. So. Apparently, according to Owen Jarris of Live Science, the Vikings entered the newly formed cave soon after the lava cooled, and they constructed the boat-like structure, placing ritual offerings inside and burning the bones of animals, including sheep, goats, cattle, horses, and pigs. Now, the sheep, goat, cattle, horses, and pigs were probably pretty rare, and considering this, I believe it was a newly created settlement, so... Those were very mm, dear uh, things for the new Viking settlers to sacrifice. The historical records show that the Vikings associated that cave with Surtr, a giant responsible for battling the gods during Ragnarok and bringing about the end of the world in Norse mythology. So... Obviously, they were probably very keen to gain his favor and stop the exploding orange rocks from the sky. Honestly, we are so spoiled with all of our knowledge and all of the education we get as a child that we forget that there are a lot of people that have lived through... Strange things like volcanoes erupting or meteors shooting from the sky that have no idea that that has happened before or will happen again, and just assume, wow, well, world's ending, um probably gonna have to do something about that, maybe we could ask, um, okay, we got nothing, so we so yeah, hey, gods, can you uh please um stop this horrible thing from happening, whichever particular horrible thing it is? The good news is Norse mythology is not completely dire. Apparently, according to James Deutsch, a curator at Smithsonian Center for Folk Life and Cultural Heritage, in an article he wrote in 2017, the apocalyptic battle of Ragnarok in popular lore is followed by a second coming of a new generation of gods. Now, I gotta say that I hadn't heard that, and I had always assumed that Ragnarok was it. <laughs> Everything was gone, toast. And Fenrir was out running around eating us all, and that was it. Uh, that was it for humanity, etc., etc., etc. So, yeah, well, good to hear that they're looking forward to a new generation of gods and a new start to the world. I suppose it's kind of an Ouroboros, like a cyclical, cyclical nature of the universe, which is popular. In Eastern religions, as well as many of the tribal religions around the world, believing that, I guess it's kind of based on the cyclical nature of the seasons, believing that a civilization will rise and come to its height and then slowly crumble, ending in some sort of a uh, Ragnarok, some sort of an apocalyptic end and go back into dust, which it first came from, and then spring up again anew and start the whole thing over again, kind of like how uh, humans do. Yeah, you know, with the whole getting born, having, grown up, having a life of your own, and then having some babies, and then getting old and dying, and then hopefully those babies go on and start the whole thing over again. So, yeah, so that's uh, a Smithsonian uh, take on uh, the burials in the cave in Iceland. As promised, I'm going to talk about Walpurgisnacht. Now, if you have read your Bromstoker Stoker and the beginning of Dracula, they talk about Walpurgisnacht and when he was arriving at Dracula's home, they were talking about the myths of Walpurgisnacht and that it was an unholy night to go out. Uh, Apparently, uh, they were very afraid because witches were free to fly about on Walpurgisnacht. Um, Now, people became less afraid of witches as the Ages of Enlightenment dawned upon the world, and... Now in southern Germany, well, Pergesnacht is a night of pranks, kind of like Halloween in the United States and England and whatever other places now celebrate Halloween. I don't know. I know that a lot of places are familiar with Halloween now and are kind of confused by and interested in it, so they um, have little celebrations of Halloween or make. um, uh, various trinkets and stuff associated with it. I know there are huge theme parks in Hong Kong that are dedicated to Halloween on um, in the uh, month of October. I used to know some awesome people who worked for them, and I wish I could have seen the, the crazy displays that they made. That would be Don Emmanuel and and Joel Talacko. I'm actually, no, I don't think he's ever actually told me his name, so I'm not sure how I pronounce it, but they both used to work in Hong Kong every year and create incredible, spectacular shows for the theme parks there. I bet you're wondering when Walpurgisnacht is. Well, Walpurgisnacht is April 30th, which is the day before May 1st, which is Beltane, which is a very important holiday in the... Witches' calendar, the um, pagan calendar. Uh, It's considered a day of fertility, the day of the beginning of the summer season. Um, That has been somewhat um, subsumed into May 1st, which is Labor Day for the workers, um, people, the working parties in various countries in Europe. May 1st used to be the uh, Labor Day in America, but it was changed until fall in the United States. I'm not exactly sure why. I think it has something to do with the Red Scare in the 50s, uh, not wanting to celebrate labor and unions along with the rest of the world, and uh, especially with Russia. I'm not... Sure of the whole story, you should probably look that up, and maybe I'll have a information on it for my next podcast. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Walpurgisnacht is the feast of St. Walpurgis, and uh, she was born in Devonshire, England, in 770 AD. She, as a young woman, traveled to Mainz, of Germany, and performed missionary work with her uncle, St. Boniface. Apparently there's a lot of saints in this family. Uh, She took a job as an abbess and baptized many pagans into Christianity at the local Heidenheim Brunnen. After her death, the walls of her tomb began to ooze a healing oil because of this miracle, the church canonized Walpurga and subsequently chopped up and dispensed across Germany and France to spread the miracle of to everyone. I seems odd that they chop a person up, but I suppose all the little saint bones that were very popular in the middle Middle Ages, middle medieval times, must have come from somewhere. So I guess they probably uh, cut up a lot of them. So things get a little bit weird from there, and um, St. Walpurga is pretty much mixed with the goddess Holga in uh, Germanic, the Germanic pantheon, and um, later with pagan witches. Uh, the symbols of St. Walpurga are sheaves of grain, a spindle, and a dog, which I'm not really sure why a dog, but hey, whatever. Um, and oddly enough, those are also the symbols of Holga. So the Walpurgisnacht customs are kind of uh, based in the fact that winters in Germany are long and hard for peasants who farmed there. It is no wonder that people celebrated the coming of spring and surrounded it with magical rituals, May Day celebrations, dancing and jumping around, and creating poles of flowers and ribbons and having giant bonfires are some of the big uh, draws on Walpurgis Night Festivals. Part of the celebration also was to build huge bonfires and in those bonfires burn anything that had worn out in the previous year as well as burning effigies of things that uh, symbolize things like illness and disease, bad luck, um, and such like, and hopefully get rid of all of the bad of winter and start a new good year in spring. And I believe that The beginning of the year was considered to start at that point. Uh, Now we have New Year's in January, but they used to have it at the end of April, uh, beginning of May. I've also seen it at the beginning of April, but I need to look into that one a little more, too. Um, So they also hung different uh, wreaths and weavings of hawthorn ash and elder trees and those were in Christian times considered to be things to ward off witches and things uh, that go bump in the night. Um, in the old days, before that, Frau Percha and Frau Holda have considered those particular parts of greenery to be sacred to them. So I guess the whole thing is kind of a mishmash of everything, a little bit of Pergus Pergusnacht in Germany is kind of a big, fun celebration now. If you haven't uh, looked it up, there's a pretty cool dance troupe uh, while well, Pergusnacht Hexenbruch, Britta, Br- I probably shouldn't play a little bit of the music from it because it's—I'm sure it's copyrights, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, if you want to check that out on YouTube, it's—it's it's a pretty fun uh, dance troupe that dresses up as witches and they have a pre-choreographed dance that they dance with their brooms and um, at the big site of the bonfire, which is kind of like a bare, muddy ground with lots of people in thick coats because it's still pretty cold in Germany at the beginning of May. If you want to celebrate Wollepurgisnacht, I guess next year because it's over now, I guess blueberries, carrots, and asparagus are things that are sacred to the goddesses, and there to be consumed. You can also hang a kitchen witch to look over your kitchen and your house. At the time there's like little figurines you can either buy or create of, they're usually kind of a big chubby grandma-like witch, um, you know with like a broom or something like that that looks benevolently out onto your kitchen. If you are Christian and want to celebrate the Saints Day, I would Probably look it up in um, Book of Saints or Catechism and see if there's any uh, mass that day or that night. I don't think it's very popular anymore um so it's probably going to be as either solo or very small celebration, but um, I'm sure there's a lot more about Saint Walpergia to celebrate um, at least I hope so, otherwise uh, there's not really a whole lot other than the healing oil in the walls. So now we're going to move on to Beltane, which is the Gaelic May Day. It is a big celebration held on May 1st, uh, which is apparently halfway between the spring equinox and the summer solstice, and is opposite of Halloween, so yay! Half-year to Halloween, my favorite. It is very popular in Ireland, Scotland, and on the Isle of Man. Beltane is a celebration of fertility and is known for celebrating the union of the goddess and the green man, and that is considered the beginnings of spring in the pagan year and with the pre-Christian peoples of Europe and England, Ireland area. Interestingly enough, in the Musical Camelot, there's a large musical number uh, about the lusty month of May, which I actually never knew was pretty much about Beltane and uh, the uh, frivolous things that people do. <laughs> so, yeah, if you have an old uh, copy of the Camelot soundtrack or you're interested in looking it up on uh, Amazon or somewhere where you could get it. It's a pretty, pretty cool musical. I actually really like it. It's been kind of part of my family since I was a kid. But I never really um, connected it with the um, pagan times before um, Christianity spread to England, which I suppose I should have. I just guess I never really thought about it. It was a musical. I believe it's Learner and Low. Richard Harris stars in it along with... Vanessa Redgrave and Franco Nero. There were many celebrations of the goddess Flora, uh, various other incarnations of a maiden goddess, and a green man who falls in love with her, and they do the thing that makes the little babies come around, and it's uh, considered like one of the high holidays of of the pre-Christian pantheon. So um Beltane was basically a big party, a big, sexy party, and everybody just had fun. And uh, there was a ribald, good old time. And I guess it kind of is um analogous to the big, huge parties that people have now on New Year's Eve. It doesn't seem to make as much sense on New Year's Eve, and I'm not actually sure. I'm going to have to, like, Consult my history books and my uh, books on as to why they changed the celebration of New Year's from uh, this springtime from, from April back to January. I'm guessing that it probably is strange to me more so because I live in Wisconsin where New Year's is insanely cold and it is a very bad time for going out and having bonfires and having big sexy parties in the woods. Um, I um, imagine there was some reason that they wanted to change the timing, maybe having to do with the celebration of Christmas. I don't know. But yeah, um, so yeah, if you uh, want to celebrate Beltane, I... Basically say, hey, go have fun, man. Um, yeah, I don't really have an analogous uh, Christian May 1st um, doing itself, but I'm sure there's a saint's day that day, um, as well as probably some sort of Islamic celebrations. But, yeah, so anyways, uh, today is Beltane. Yesterday was all Pergasnacht, It is May 1st, and it was April 30th. Okay, so moving on from there, we are going to go into some musings on two TV series. Um, One is on Amazon Prime, and the other is on HBO Max. I think that the second one might have... um, been released some other places in Europe also. Now I am going to be spoilerific on both of these um, TV series and so if you don't want them spoiled then uh, I guess watch these at or listen to this after you have watched them. I will be dealing with the series Them from Amazon Prime and 30 Coins from HBO Max and HBO International. Alright, the first series is Them, which is a horror-drama, streaming, television anthology series. It is executive produced by Lena Waithe, and it stars Debra uh, Rinde and Ashley Thomas, Alison Pill, and Ryan Quanton. It premiered on Prime Video on April 9th, 2021. Has a 64% score on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was created by Little Marvin. The composer of the music, which is actually a very good music soundtrack, is Mark Corvin. It's from the United States and is 10 episodes long for the first season. I believe that it's going to follow the a uh, model from American Horror Story where it's going to have a similar to the same cast portraying different stories uh, from year to year. It is produced by Sony Pictures Television, Amazon Studios, and Vertigo Entertainment, as well as Odd Men Out and Hillman Grad Productions and distributed by Amazon Studios. The title of this season is Them Covenant, And it deals with the uh, second great migration of African-Americans who moved from North Carolina and the south in general to out west um, and up north, uh, specifically around the Los Angeles neighborhood. Um, This family that it's concerned with, it moves from North Carolina to Compton, Los Angeles. The story follows a small family from North Carolina. Livy Lucky Emery is the mother and Henry Emery is the father. He is a veteran of World War II and has benefited from the GI Bill and gone to college to become an engineer. He is coming to California to start a job where he is an engineer at um, Actually, I can't remember exactly, but some sort of um, big engineering job in California, and so he's got very good pay, and it is an incredible opportunity for a black man in 1953. Um, he brings with him his children, well, they bring with them, Um their children, Ruby Lee Emery and Gracie Emery. The cinematography and set design and makeup and acting are all superb. They are on a madman sort of level. Kind of looking for something that's uh, set in the same period, at least at the beginning. Um, but yeah, it is incredibly beautiful um, series. The effects are great. They're um, really well done. Uh, they're not. They're not. Um, they're not very hokey. There's a couple things that are strange, but um, I can, they're meant to be strange. The set designer does a great job at kind of using the um, colors of the 1950s, which I don't think that um, audiences are very used to seeing because the TV shows that we are all familiar with and the Dick Van Dyke Show and Father Knows Best and all of those were black and white of course at the time and so um it's kind of odd to see all of the the bright colors that um i used and i'm sure that they were kind of going for a bit of a disconcerting nature with some of the wallpapers and um hues uh, in the home the various homes um The outside of the neighborhood in California is very uh, pastel, very Edward Scissorhands, like every house looks the same a little bit, and um, it's creepy in its, uh, I don't know, just its sheer sameness. At the very beginning of the series there is um, a bit of a vignette uh, of sorts of the past, where uh, Lucky Emery is playing with their uh, baby son um, and they are just um, hanging out outside and she's cuddling him and and just being silly and they have a little dog and there is a very odd woman that comes up to her and is incredibly creepy. You're going to have to see it to understand it because... There's just something about her that is very off. She kind of gives me a feeling of—well, she's not like mutilated or anything like that, but she gives me a feeling of—hills um, have eyes, and um, she's so—but she's not like a mutant or anything. She's just very creepy. She's got that um, kind of a, a lazy Southern accent, and she looks very malicious and she comes up and she starts singing a racist uh, song about uh I believe it's Old Black Joe and the um tension starts to build from there and um the baby starts crying and she uh Lucky goes to comfort him and the um Frightening woman notices the baby for the first time and is like, oh, you have a baby? And then asks if she can have the baby, which is possibly one of the creepiest things I have ever heard from um, a character in a, uh, in a movie. Just anybody asking if she can have your baby is um, very frightening. I don't have kids, but if i did i would be probably 17 times 7 more creeped out by that um question so yeah so um the narrative breaks off there um but she um i'm sorry she uh she meaning lucky um is uh traveling she wakes up and she's traveling in the family car to go to California, and they get to California, and boom, right from the beginning, everything just keeps going downhill. Uh, they move into the house that um, uh, Mr. Emery has bought, and it's, it's a pretty nice house. I mean, for the times, it's um, a large ranch house. Uh, it has a basement, apparently. it That is unusual in California, and the... Um, Uh, agent, or lister, or whatever you would call the person, the real estate agent, um, is talking up the place as they uh, sign the final contracts. And uh, there is a very racist clause in the contracts about um, not selling the land or selling any property in the neighborhood to someone who is African American. This, of course, is against the law by 1953, and so... um, she basically poo it, and, of course, the Emery's are very frightened by it, especially lucky. Um, they are pretty vulnerable. They're uh, a small African-American family very far from their friends and family out in North Carolina, and I can imagine that must be pretty terrifying. Um, I've moved cross-country a couple times, uh, but it's always been... In a very secure way, and I am very, 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 very white, <laughs> and so I don't have the the terrors and fears that people of color do. And even then, it was it was kind of frightening for me. Um, so I can't imagine how a small family in 1953 would feel. Um, Lucky is much more practical than Henry, and she is um, somewhat a Um, against the whole move uh, right off the bat after she sees that clause Um, and the neighborhood does not welcome them to say the least Uh, every kind of trope of horrible racist uh, neighbors, uh, suburban neighbors is played out. Um, There is a neighbor across the street named Betty and she's She's horrible. Um, every Everybody in this television show, aside from the main family and a few of their friends, is pretty much horrible. Um, so, like I said earlier, the show is beautiful. It is really well done. It is incredibly beautiful. And it is incredibly hard to watch. Um, I... Kind of like kind of wish I could do some sort of dial back on my brain and take out of the memories um that I have from watching the show it's um it's a it's a rough ride from the very beginning um I didn't mention at the very beginning um when uh lucky is remembering the past scene of her and the frightening woman there's a, a little dog that they have and he's adorable and of course there's just a lot of fear around dogs in any kind of horror movie and the the frightening woman um who is played by Dale Dickey uh, she is uh picks up the dog and she's very interested in the dog and she's kind of playing with him and cuddling him in very upsetting ways i don't know he just she's, she's just creepy um so yeah so it starts off creepy, and the entire entire thing is just a frightening exploration of just how horrible people are. Uh And actually then some, I mean, I know that incredibly horrible things have happened in the past to people of color, especially black families in the 1950s, and I'm sure things this horrible have happened, and possibly probably worse. Um, But immediately the uh, town starts to do things like set up uh, lawn chairs so that they can stare into the windows of the family. Um, A few days later they burn uh, racist epitaphs into the lawn with gasoline and they tie up all sorts of small dolls that they've painted in blackface. yeah, it's pretty horrible. Um, the very first episode, they find that, that someone has killed the dog um, inside their house, inside the basement, which they can't really figure out, and I don't think they actually even explore how it happened. There is a loose door, but um, the police come, and everybody tries to figure out what happened if somebody had, like, slid into the basement, I think that it is pretty much left as one of the supernatural happenings. So, yeah, so this family is lucky enough to have incredibly racist neighbors in an incredibly racist time in the United States and they're just kind of up against everything. Um and lo and behold, they also have supernatural happenings in their house. They have um uh at least one ghost um, supernatural being that um, comes as a teacher from one of Gracie, the little girl's, the littlest girl's um, book. It's a book about a teacher that she loves and she always reads the book, but, and then the um, teacher comes in real life and is talking to her and nobody sees the teacher except for her at first and she thinks that, uh, she says that the um, teacher is the one who has killed the dog. but. I don't know. The whole thing is just messed up. Um, The older girl goes to her school. Uh, Let's see. What is her name again? The older girl is Ruby, and she goes to the school, and everybody there is also incredibly horrible. Um, They're all, like, little kids, but yeah they laugh at her about everything um she's smart, and so she answers a question and they make fun of her for that. Um, it's just awful <laughs> i I like the show like in a way i I like the production quality of it, but it's just it's just hard to watch because it's it's true i mean it's it's a very true setup so I'm a horror officiando i like horror, but I i guess I like more of a fantasy sort of a horror, not as much of an ex- exploration of the horribleness of people to people. So this really isn't my, I don't know, bag of cats or whatever you would call it. It um, goes on to explore um, the horrible PTSD that um, Henry Emery has um, his experiences while working at the company that he's taking a job for, uh, in the in- intensifying, uh, racism of the other people in the neighborhood, as well as a little bit of a allusion to, uh, I think this is West Compton, and they talk about East Compton, or it might be flipped. I'm not sure, but either way, it's, um, It's not a welcoming place for African Americans, to be sure, even though it eventually becomes a predominantly African American area. As the supernatural events start to ramp up, Henry starts to see a man in blackface. Um, Blackface is the horrible, um, old-fashioned, I guess, um, 50s fashion of... Putting uh, black makeup on a white man who portrays an African American as a very stupid character. Um, it's, I think it was probably the most popular on the Amos and Andy show. I don't think it was set as viciously as this is. I've I'd imagine, I mean, it was a very popular show on the radio and I think on television. I'm sorry, I wasn't around then. I don't know as much about that show, and my family didn't really have anything to do with it. Um, So, yeah, it's um, his particular bugbear, his particular ghost, is a black-faced guy who is very frightening and very malevolent, very enticing towards violence and anger and kind of like pretty much picking out, picking at every loose thread that Henry has in his life. Um, The uh, mom of the family, Lucky, she keeps seeing this creepy man in a hat who you find out later is probably like the main ghost in the house. He's a, uh, um, I guess it's like maybe Pennsylvania Dutch. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. He's an immigrant that has settled on the land that eventually becomes Compton. And they have like an entire episode devoted to him later in the series. Uh, But he is her main antagonist. Um, As I said earlier, uh, Gracie's is the teacher figure and Ruby's is a white girl who is same the same age as her and I, th- I think she's like a preteen or early high school and that girl is oddly nice to her. Um, she is um, a white girl and she kind of looks like a Bobby Soxer or some sort of I don't know 1950s trope of uh, of the cute girl and as the um show plays on, you find out that Ruby envies her and she wants to be her and so the ghost or um, her particular nemesis uh, is playing at that is playing at her loneliness and fears in the high school and um yeah it's not it's um, as any horror movie, I guess I suppose, the um, the ghosts are not nice. They are particularly vicious in this one. Um, so, yeah, there are many things that ramp up. I will let you experience them on your own. <laughs> Episode 5 is incredibly vicious and upsetting. Um, it involves the story that was teased at at the beginning with um, Lucky and the uh, woman that uh, approaches her house and asks for her baby. Um, There is incredible violence and sexual assault in that episode and um, incredible violence to a child. I guess I'll just leave that at that. So in case you are interested and you want to see it, go ahead and watch it. But just know be warned ahead of time that it's pretty upsetting and triggering and well anything. Honestly, I I I'm not a person of color, like I said, I'm incredibly white. I'm very German and Polish and as hard as it was for me to get through someone that would easily see themselves in these characters, someone that's a person of color, someone that's a black American I don't really, I don't really see how they could get through this. It's, it's really vicious. It's kind of takes like the, um, ideas in us and *Lovecraft country and get out and puts them all at 11. It's a uh, way, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's a pretty hard watch. At least for me, it was so, You know, I guess it all depends on your level of acceptance of um, horrors. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, like I said, Episode 5 is pretty bad. Um, It continues to be bad. Uh, Everyone in it is horrible, except for the family. Um, There is a special episode, uh, Second to Last, and that explores the distant past where the... Uh, preacher, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch, or whatever he is. Uh, uh, the hatted man that eventually comes to uh, be Lucky's nemesis um, is the protagonist of that episode. He's played by Christopher Heyerdahl, who is is an incredible um, actor in terms of creepy people actors. Uh, he's been on... Supernatural and a bunch of other uh, uh, television shows and films. But yeah, he's tall and has a very gaunt face and a menacing aura about him. So he's actually pretty much the perfect person to play that character. Um, But yeah, it shows where the, I guess, the curse on land, curse upon the land of uh, the house that they bought comes from. And In the past, um, everybody who was white is incredibly horrible and monstrous. Also, uh, there's a black family that, uh, I guess their wagon wheel breaks, and they go out to help them, quote-unquote help them, and, uh, yeah, they should have run. They should be running. Um, I think that it's partially implied that the family might be Escaped Slaves because they allude to the Civil War, which is either going on or has um, just finished at the time that the episode is set. But uh, then it flashes back to the present time as it finishes up. Um, It doesn't really have a um, end so much as just kind of a stopping. Uh, The family is confronted as they finally escape their house of horrors, uh, ghosts and horrors and just horribleness. Um, but they don't really escape it because there's uh, tons of racist cops and neighborhood people outside. So yeah, so that is them. I Again, I find this uh, show incredibly beautiful, incredibly well done. And also, just really hard to watch. Um, You can watch it if you so choose on Amazon Prime. And uh, it again is made by Little Marvin. And there are eight episodes covering 10 days in the life of this family. Okay, moving on to the second series that I'm going to highlight in this episode 30 Coins. Oh! pretty glad to get past them. Um, Them, like, it's pretty obvious that it disturbed me quite a bit. So now we're going to 30 Coins, which is a horror series on HBO International and on HBO Max. I don't know if you can see it on regular HBO, but it's definitely available on HBO Max. I highly recommend this series. It is set in present time in Spain, in a small town in Spain, and it has to do with the 30 coins that were paid to Judas for betraying Jesus, and, um, I guess I'm actually not going to be as spoilery for this one, but, um... Let's see. Well, I suppose I should talk about the production and stuff of it. First, it is a Spanish-language series. Uh, the director is Alex de la Inglesia. The program creator is the same. It was created originally for HBO Europe. It was co-written by Alex de la Iglesia and Jorge and forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, it's a very, very long name. I'm not too familiar with pronouncing uh, Spanish words. So it's Guaixer I believe, Guaixer and um, stars Edward Fernandez, Miguel Angel Silvestre, who um, is probably famously known mostly in the United States for Sense8. Megan Montener and Marcina Gomez and Pepan Nito and Manolo Solo. The music composer is Roque Banos. It is from Spain and it uh, is in Spanish and Italian. It currently has one season of eight episodes. The cinematography is by Pablo Rosso my initial thoughts on the series are that it is very expertly made it's it seems like it is a lot of money spent on it it has um, excellent cinematography the music is um, very fitting works very well within the framework of the show um, this the um, most of the scenes are set in the Kind of like a pastoral area of Spain, and um it's just it's very beautiful <laughs> the place is very beautiful the uh the city has kind of a look of uh, possibly like a medieval city uh it has the very interesting contrast of the inside of a lot of the buildings as. Uh, modern feel to it. Uh, the I know at one point one of the characters points out that she, she's got most of her stuff from IKEA. So it's um, one of my friends commented that they thought the pacing of the show was unusual, but I didn't really notice that. It's a European show, so it's not going to be paced like American shows. So I didn't really find anything that unusual about that. Um, I don't think the pacing is like too slow or too fast. It's very good at kind of pulling out the suspense as well as uh, ramping it up when it needs be. Uh, the actors are all excellent. Uh, the main actor, uh, the main actor, Edward Fernandez, is excellent. Uh, I think that he's Pretty big star in Spain. Um, he kind of has a look of a younger, way more fit uh, Robert De Niro. And um, Miguel Silvestre is—he's—he's he's a good actor. He's very, very handsome man. And uh, I think he worked as a model at some point. And it's pretty well used by the cinematographers and the filming. Uh, and Megan Montana is also... Actually, everybody in this movie is... is yeah, I guess there's some people that are less attractive, but most of the main characters are very attractive people. I'm um, kind of surprised, actually, at how attractive they are. I think that it might be uh, more of a staple of Spanish uh, and um, Hispanic cinemas to have... Uh, the actors that they choose for dramas to be incredibly attractive people at least from the um, little bits of telenovelas and such that I have seen so I know that telenovelas and that is a completely and totally different world of um, South American Mexican cinema but um, I don't know I guess there's probably some similarities in terms of like the Spanish language culture of of um, viewing language. So I am doing kind of an unusual thing in highlighting this program because I haven't actually finished it yet. I will continue more about the series in my next podcast, but it um, it is good enough that I want to promote it from the get-go. It's um, really caught the uh, notice of me and my husband and it's it's just a very exciting, enthralling um series. It reminds me in tone of Marianne, which was I think about two years ago from France. Uh it has that similar like kind of a breakneck speed, a um a very urgent um plot line and I I very much um enjoy that. Uh, it also has a feeling of total belief in the supernatural world. It doesn't have, like, the... Well, there are characters that do say that they don't believe in the supernatural world and this is all stupid and so so on and so forth, but there's kind of an underlying religiosity in the cultures of, I believe it was, well, it was, yeah, the countryside of France and the countryside of Spain where... um, I believe that the Catholic traditions are, um, still very strong. So it is, um, ripe right for this kind of, uh, religious horror, uh, kind of based on a near, like, uh, superstitious sort of, uh, veneration of, um, things like curses and, uh, objects that could be cursed and i don't know it's it's so far it's just been a great show i can't really um say too much about the entirety of the show like i said i haven't completely finished it however everything i've seen so far has been um top notch it's um a great roller coaster so far it deals a lot with um darkness um it deals a lot with uh just kind of like the whole um creepiness of settings and that that kind of comes out in the countryside buildings like i said they're very odd because they have the veneer of an i'm guessing like almost a medieval sort of village and then inside they're they're beautiful there's like incredible uh woodworking in the church um, there's a fantastic altarpiece covered in statuary. Um, There's some parts that are set. I'm not exactly sure if it's supposed to be a castle or um, some sort of palace in a um, supernatural world that they are drawn into. But yeah, I highly recommend this series Thirty Coins. Um, I guess I'm not going to go too much farther into it because, as you can probably tell, my voice is a little bit scratchy today. And I've pretty much talked your ear off for over an hour now. All right, I'm going to end this episode of Fishnets and Phantoms right here. Um, again, enjoy your Beltane day today. I hope you enjoyed well snack last night. Um, if you found any piles of dirt with coins underneath them. Um, good, That's very good luck for you. Uh, hopefully there's no werewolf attacks and uh, the Draculas have uh, kept to themselves for the night at least. Um, also, I want to remind everybody of the movie Hagazusa, which is also set beginning On Beltane, beginning there at the end of, sorry, the end of the winter, the beginning of spring, and uh, Walpurgisnacht, and Frau Percha is the um, uh, goddess or uh, otherworldly character at the beginning of that. Interesting and well-crafted movie from Germany, but yeah, uh, go back and check out *Hagazusa* if you haven't. I did an episode on it a while back. It's a very trippy, very folk horror um, exploration into the life of a young, outcast German woman. And oh, in I think it was like 1600s, 1500s. So, yeah, um, check out Hagazusa. But, yeah, enjoy your Beltane day. I hope it is a lot of fun, and I hope your spring is fun as well. And I will probably see you later on in May. or. You will hear my voice later on in May. Uh, as always, please check out the Facebook group for Fishnets and Phantoms and make any comments you would like to. Um, there is also a Facebook page for Fishnets and Phantoms. You can find us on the Anchor podcast stream as well as any other of the larger podcasts, uh, podcast collectors, aggregators, in, uh, on the internets. As well as the Dark Discussions uh, podcast group. And a big shout out to Phil Perrone and the Dark Discussions family. So, have a great day, and I'm just starting to see the glimmerings of sun come up, so I gotta quick um, off to my bat cave and hide under my blankets and uh, bring all my cats together so I can make it through another day of the frightening ball of fire in the sky. All right, you guys, take care.